<laughs> Greetings and salutations out there, sports fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. Michael Shibley with you here on yet another glorious edition of the Modern Day Gladiators podcast here on the Stage Diver Radio Network and coming soon to Outlander Media as well. So check us out on all those places. I, of course, have a huge show packed for everybody out there. As always, of course, we're going to talk about the Super Bowl and how wonderfully dull it was. That was awful. And we'll get to that here in a moment, of course, talking about NFL awards, the craziness of college hoops. We had one of the weirdest scoring games you would think would ha- Now that they don't have a shot clock, you would think a score like this would not happen. Or the fact that they have a shot clock, that this score wouldn't happen. It did. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And of course, some controversy with NCAA rulings and stuff. So all that, of course, what happened over the weekend and who had the best weekend in the WWE. We'll talk all about that coming up. But of course, we've got to get all the good promotional stuff out of the way, get Tim from analytics off our back. And so, of course, you are listening again to the Modern Day Gladiators podcast here on the Stage Diver Radio Network and coming soon to Outlander Media Network. You, of course, can head to both websites, stagedivermedia.com and outlandermedia.net. So you can check us out in both those places. We've got some nice media players there where you can check, you can download, you can subscribe, you can do all the stuff right from the website. So check all that stuff out. Of course, you can check us out on social media. You can like the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook page, and you can get bonus videos and different things that we do there live and in person. So check out all of that. And of course, you can check me out on social media. Just search Modern Day Gladiators on Instagram, and you'll find me there. And of course, you can do Michael underscore Shibley on Twitter, and that's where I am. And you can, of course, interact with me directly. You can also shoot us an email at moderndaygladiators at gmail.com. So check that out as well. A lot of great questions. Always love to interact with everybody. And of course, everywhere you get your podcast, you can listen to us. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher. Tune in and now Spotify. We are on Spotify. So all of you, thank you for letting us on there. And of course, wherever you listen to us, please like, subscribe, share, get those five-star reviews out. We would love you forever. The more five-star reviews we get, that's how we get bigger and better and badder is with your help with those reviews. So we've got all that. Let's break down everything that happened. And congratulations, as we do always here on Modern Day Gladiators, we always talk winners first. Congratulations to the New England Patriots for defeating the Los Angeles Rams 13 to 3, 16 total points in the Super Bowl to win Super Bowl 53, the sixth championship for the Patriots, moving them into a tie with the Pittsburgh Steelers for uh, most Super Bowl wins overall. So congratulations there. Of course, for uh, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, they've got six together. This was their ninth Super Bowl that they've played in together since 2001. So just consider that half the Super Bowls that have been played since Uh, Brady and Belichick's first, the Patriots have been involved. So that's an amazing thing to think about. Some great stats there. But also just look at just the things they've accomplished. Julian Edelman uh, was your MVP with 10 receptions, 141 yards. Of course, one of the things people are kind of forgetting through all this is the fact that he was suspended for the first four games of the season for uh, performance-enhancing drug violations and things like that. So Keep that in mind. He did have a great game. He was definitely the most valuable player on the offensive side of all this. One touchdown scored in this game. That's 
just insane. You would think as high-powered offenses go and what we had looking forward to this game, you would think there would be way more than 16 points, but that was just not the case. And again, I'm fine with good defense. I love when teams play some defense because you do have to stop them occasionally. And again, yes, offense is great. That's what puts more eyeballs on the screen. But I love teams that actually play some defense. You can score and play defense. And low-scoring defensive struggles are great when they're interesting. This was not one of those games. This was not an interesting game when it got down to it. If you like punting, if you're one of the Colquitt brothers and part of the Colquitt family, then by all means, I hope you enjoyed that game. But for the rest of us, that was just not entertaining at all. It was amazing. You, you, If you went into this game thinking that if you tell the Los Angeles Rams you're only going to allow 13 points, you would think they would be the ones winning the game. And you think they'd take that. They'd take that all day long. they think, we've got this great offense. We're going to be able to do that. But it really showed. It almost seemed like Sean McVay, the head coach, and Jared Goff, these young guns, that they're not ready for prime time just yet. That's what they went out really improved in this game. And, who boy, it was just, he was 30% on third down, Jared Goff was, which was bad. Made some bad decisions. That interception late in the game where they finally was getting getting some offense going. I don't know what was going on with Todd Gurley. That was kind of interesting and questionable all game long. So, a lot of interesting things to think about and what could have been. One of the things I definitely think about is if the New Orleans Saints were playing in this game, I think Drew Brees and the Saints would have found some holes in that Patriot defense and would have been able to exploit it, and there would have been far more points in this game. I will tell you that right now. Um, But it was a wonderful scheme by Belichick and the defense there, the fact that they were able to go out and just stifle this Rams offense. The Rams' defense, I thought, did a wonderful job all game. Again, 13 points, and one of those was a field goal with about eight seconds left in the game or or under a minute to go. So you would think with all of that, the Rams would be fine. You'd think their offense would carry the day. But they were not able to do any of that, and the Patriots now have six Super Bowl championships. And again, so many people, and it's weird because... So many people were ready to write off the Patriots all season long, and that was their motivation. I don't really think anybody thought the Patriots um, were bad. I don't think that. I don't think so many people may have thought after maybe they lost to the Jaguars to begin the season and maybe when they lost to the Tennessee Titans, games like that that they lost, maybe they thought the sky was falling a little bit or the empire started to crumble because there were questions about that going into the offseason last year after they lost to Philadelphia that Brady and Belichick and Kraft just weren't getting along anymore. Things were becoming an issue. So yeah, you could see the people questioning cracks, but I'm one of these guys, just like Ric Flair has always said, to be the man, woo, you've got to beat the man. And that wasn't going to happen with the Patriots. They were coming out. They did great. And I'm not going to count them dead until they are on their back lying and the ref is counting to 10 and you are out. You've got to knock them out. And yes, the the Eagles knocked them out the year before, which is fine. But guess what? They got back up. They got off the canvas. They got back to the Super Bowl for the ninth time, third year in a row. 
and they were able to win and play a great game plan against a young and inexperienced team that had, I think up to this point, two starters who had Super Bowl experience. So now you have to look at all of this and think, what's going to go on? Are the Rams going to be able to make it back to a Super Bowl? You look at the history, and it's tough, especially if you're a quarterback who has lost a Super Bowl to start with. Like, if you get to the Super Bowl and win it in your first time, like Peyton Manning and Drew Brees and Tom Brady and Russell Wilson and Eli Manning and all these other guys who have gone in and won a Super Bowl to start, that's great. The monkey is off your back at that point. You're playing with house money at that point. Aaron Rodgers, also another one like that. But then you look at guys like Jared Goff and even Dan Marino and Matt Ryan and so many of these guys who have made it to a Super Bowl and lost, it's tough to get back to Super Bowls. Look at the best example has always been Dan Marino, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time to play this sport. Got to the one Super Bowl, I believe, in his second year, Super Bowl 19. My 49ers put a lick into him. He never got back there. So it's hard. The fact that the Patriots have been able to do what they've done in how they've tried to create so much parity in the NFL is remarkable. The fact that they've made nine Super Bowls and won six of them has been amazing. And it's taken some craziness to beat them. You had the the Giants had to make, you know, Tyree had to have the catch where he held the ball against his helmet or uh, Mario Manningham having the the shoe the shoelace catch on the sideline and play great defense or the the Eagles with the Philly special and playing defense right at the end when you needed it to get those sacks on Brady and cause the turnovers. Those are the ways you were able to beat the Patriots. So all the games besides this one had been eight points or less, and this one was ten. So they've never been blowouts when the Patriots get there, but they win, and that's what winners do. They go out when no one expects them to, or people think you're too old. That's what the old champion does. He goes out, he gets that win when everybody's been ready to count them out. I haven't counted them out all season. You guys have been listening to the podcast. You realize I'm not going to count the Patriots dead until they're dead, and I'm not doing that until I see it next season, if they go, if they start the year six and six through week 12, maybe we'll start to worry about it at that point. But until then, I'm not going to, especially because the division they play in is terrible. I mean, who's going to come out of the AFC East right now? Ugh, that's awful over there. So again, look at all of that. I do think, again, that Jared Goff and Sean McVay, I think, were just not ready for prime time. I think they were way in over their head. They didn't do anything different in the game plan, and it, I think it showed. And again, I think the Saints would have given a better matchup if they had not been the victims of a terrible call. And you got to give credit to the city of New Orleans, because a lot of people go out and say, oh, I'm not watching because of this, this, and this. They didn't watch. If you look at the ratings, first of all, the ratings for this Super Bowl, because again, the Patriots again earned the Super Bowl, and the Rams, yes, they're in Los Angeles, but they moved back to Los Angeles. They didn't, they'd been in St. Louis forever. 
So it wasn't as sexy of a matchup as a lot of people would think just to the casual person. To a sports guy, great. I'm going to watch the Super Bowl no matter what. But to a lot of casual viewers, they probably just weren't that interested in it. And it showed because the ratings came out and they were the lowest rating in 10 years. And New Orleans was a big part of that. They did not watch this game. Uh, I think the rating in New Orleans was half of what it was last year. And New Orleans hadn't been to a Super Bowl since they won their first one back, I believe it was, what, Super Bowl 43, Super Bowl 44, I think, when Drew Brees won that Super Bowl. That's been it. That's the only Super Bowl that they've been in. So they were like, I'm not going to watch. They didn't watch. So my hat goes off to New Orleans fans for sticking with it because even if I'm upset, I still got to watch the Super Bowl. It's the Super Bowl. I'm a big sports guy. I love it. So... It's great. But again, when you've got a game that goes 13 to 3 like that and it's dull, which this game was, you're just not going to get a lot of casual people interested. Yeah, people go to the Super Bowl parties, they go to the house party, have some dip, watch the commercials. We'll talk about the commercials here in a second. But they're not going to pay attention to the game. My wife and I were sitting there and I, I was watching the game, but she was bored out of her mind, bless her heart. She was doing other things while it was going on, which is fine. But if, if, if just have some touchdowns, we didn't have a touchdown until the fourth quarter. It was three to three, which, by the way, no one is ever going to go out there and tell me how boring soccer is when you talk about championship level soccer. When you've got a game like this out there, at least soccer. First of all, again, as I say, it's over in two hours. And the ball is constantly moving for the most part, unless one of the guys is faking an injury, which happens all the time. So just kind of keep that stuff in mind. But again, the lowest rating in 10 years and ratings overall were up for the NFL this year compared to last year. So that's something else to kind of keep in mind. And again, New Orleans not watching was a big reason, but it wasn't the only reason. I think the matchup was bad, and I think a lot of people, yeah, were upset that you didn't get... Because again, you get Drew Brees, Tom Brady, two Hall of Fame quarterbacks going at it, great. Sometimes, yeah, you got young guns in Los Angeles with, with Jared Goff and Sean McVay, but a lot of people outside of that, they don't know who they are. They're not established yet. And that's what a lot of times brings eyeballs is those established names and sexier matchups. And this wasn't one of them. And then the game was dull and boring. After the first quarter, I'm sure a lot of people just turned it off or watched something else, watched a replay of the Puppy Bowl on Animal Planet. That's maybe what they did. The commercials, by the way, mostly blah, too. I, I, I liked a couple of them. I did like the uh, the fact that the corn industry is now ticked off at Bud Light for talking about how they don't have corn, corn syrup in their beer whatever i don't drink light beer anyway so i i i don't care about that uh but the the bud light commercial they did with the tie-in with game of thrones i thought was great big thrones fans so can't wait for the final season i thought the nfl uh 100 commercial where they're talking about because next year i believe is the 100th anniversary of the start of the nfl and they had all the former players and current players going after a loose ball and trying to score and tables and glass shattering i thought that was an awesome commercial um, all the Alexa fails I thought was really fun with Amazon where Harrison Ford's dog keeps barking and ordering more dog food and more treats, which I thought was really funny. Um, and then the Washington Post one talking about uh, and kind of paying tribute almost to journalists who were killed over the last year, including, uh, as we've talked on this show, Jamal Khashoggi, uh, and the fact that, you know, especially when you have certain people who want journalists killed for some reason. And I've seen the shirts. I've seen them 
talk about hanging journalists from trees, that's not good. And these people go out there and try and report the stories as they happen and what goes on. And when they're killed, it's a horrible thing. And uh, I thought the Washington Post did a really good uh, commercial there. So I enjoyed that one. The halftime show, Maroon 5, nothing special. I had it on mute. I was watching Halftime Heat, which we'll talk about here in a a little while. Uh, But nothing special. Uh, Travis Scott and Big Boy, I thought, were the two best parts of that, including also the SpongeBob reference that was made. That made it better, but still, meh, just kind of white bread, which is pretty much what Maroon 5 is at this point. I mean, they haven't been interesting in years, so... I know a lot of other artists like uh, Cardi B and Rihanna turned down the Super Bowl, which is fine. But again, it wasn't my interest for a halftime show. It's perfectly acceptable, but nothing special, nothing great about it. It was definitely not Prince. It was definitely not Michael Jackson. It wasn't the Rolling Stones. It wasn't... Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. It wasn't Beyonce. It wasn't Lady Gaga. It was Maroon 5. (laughs) So consider that, and that's part of just the whole wonderful dullness of Super Bowl 53. So there you have it. Uh, One of the other things we'll talk about here real quick in this first segment as we wrap up and put a bow on the NFL uh, going forward for this season. The NFL Awards came out. Also during the weekend, uh, Kansas City quarterback Patrick Mahomes was named uh, MVP and also the uh, Offensive Player of the Year. He's the fourth youngest to win the award. Um, the only people older than or younger than him was Dan Marino when he won it, and then Jim Brown uh, two years when he won it. So uh, two years in a row, Jim Brown won it, Dan Marino, and then Patrick Mahomes, uh, Aaron Donald for the Rams. He was the Defensive Player of the Year. I thought he had a pretty good Super Bowl, uh, one of the bright spots there for the Rams, but again, couldn't get it done. Uh, Khalil Mack finished second in that one. Uh, Drew Brees came in second in the Offensive Player of the Year. Andrew Luck, uh, the Indianapolis quarterback, uh, quarterback, was the Comeback Player of the Year by a landslide. Probably had almost his best statistical season ever. I thought he did great. It's glad to see him back, and now especially that they have an offensive line, and they might get some more uh, running back interest and, and things like that. So the Colts, I think, can be back as a perennial playoff team here now that Luck is back and healthy. We'll see how that maintains. Uh, Matt Nagy, the Bears head coach in his first season, won Coach of the Year, and his uh, defensive coordinator, Nick Fangio, he uh, is the assistant coach of the year. Of course, now he is the new Denver head coach. Giants running back Saquon Barkley is your offensive rookie of the year over Baker Mayfield, which was a uh, the, probably the closest vote out of any in this category. Uh, it's going to be interesting. They had a bet. I think the other one has to buy a chain. The chain was wagered somehow in that one, so just kind of keeping an eye on that. Uh, you also, of course, had uh, Colts linebacker Darius Leonard. He was the defensive rookie of the year, 163 tackles, which is a franchise record. Not bad to do in your rookie season. He had 13 in the playoff game versus Houston, so there could be a bright future ahead for Mr. Darius Leonard there. And, of course, congratulations goes out to the Hall of Fame class here of 2019. Very defensive-led, which I guess maybe could have been a precursor to what was going on with the Super Bowl, but... Ed Reed uh, from Baltimore, 
uh, Champ Bailey, mostly from Denver, Ty Law in New England, and uh, seniors finalist uh, Johnny Robinson from Kansas City. They were all defensive backs, so a lot of defensive backs in this one. Uh, also, uh, Tony Gonzalez, great, obvious, easy tight end pick there, played at Kansas City in Atlanta. Center Kevin Mawai played with the Titans, played with the Seahawks, played with the Jets. Just a great offensive lineman there. Also, uh, Pat Bolin, the Broncos owner, suffering from Alzheimer's disease. He's backed away from a lot of the day-to-day stuff since about 2014. But uh, he's into the Hall of Fame. And uh, Gil Brandt, he was the Cowboys uh, vice president of player personnel back through the uh, in the 60s through the 80s. So good choices there. Uh, for the Hall of Fame, I don't really have any any qualms about that or any misgivings. I thought it was all really well picked. Ed Reed, it was always amazing to watch him play, man. Those pickoffs that he would do and, and flap the wings as he headed into the end zone. I mean, he was, I think, a, a two-star recruit he talked about, and now he's in the Hall of Fame, which again shows recruiting, not all it's cracked up to be sometimes. So, And think of that, too. When it comes to Julian Edelman, who was, I don't even know what star recruit he was. He played at Kent State. He wasn't even invited to the NFL Combine, but the Patriots took a flyer on him in the seventh round and drafted him. Uh, When he switched to wide receiver, he was a quarterback at Kent State and became a wide receiver. Now he's a Super Bowl MVP. Granted, he had to use some performance-enhancing drugs to get there and was suspended for four games, but still most valuable player of that game. So congratulations to everybody again in the Hall of Fame class. So should be some fun speeches there. Champ Bailey, of course, was one of those lockdown corners, which was just amazing to watch him. And Tony Gonzalez, always thought he was great. He could have probably played professional basketball and done very well for himself there because he was, uh, I think, on the Cal basketball team as well as the Cal football team, if I remember correctly. And one of his uh, favorite things to do was slam dunk at the goalpost. So Kansas City and Atlanta getting a good one there in a tight end. But that's going to wrap up this first half of the Modern Day Gladiators podcast here on the Stage Diver Radio Network and also on the Outlander Media Network. So we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with shibbles and bits right after this. Again, you're listening to the Modern Day Gladiators podcast. Welcome back here to Modern Day Gladiators on the Outlander Media Network and here, of course, on Stage Diver Radio as well. Hopefully you guys are still hanging in there with me. I appreciate it as always. Love you guys out there. And, of course, we're done talking football at least for a little while. We'll see, of course, if news breaks and we got to talk about it. You know we're still going to talk about it. But, again, it's kind of good to put a bow on the football as we get into it but now we're talking shivels and bits and again it's always weird being the diehard and just true Tennessee fan that I am it's always weird to have uh my beloved Tennessee Vols in the shivels and bits segment but that's where we are because of course football is king but again the number one ranked Tennessee Vols they're number one for the third straight week which is great 
because it's three times longer than they were the first time they were ranked number one. They took care of business, and of course we talked about this last week, blew out uh, at South Carolina 92-70, to and then they took care of business at Texas A&M 93-76. Of course, both of those games, I think they were down to two or four-point games at one point, and Tennessee just came back and took control in the second half. And uh, it was the Jordan Bone Show this last week. He was named Co-SEC Player of the Week, uh, averaging 18.5 points per game, 9 assists per game, and 5 rebounds per game. So he was amazing. He's getting talked about for the Koozie Award, which is a top award for guards in college basketball, which is awesome to see. Um, And again, against Texas A&M, it was awesome. 7-for-7 from the field, four for four from three-point range, which was just awesome. I think out of the last 28 points that Tennessee scored, 19 of those points uh, came either from an assist from Jordan Bone or Jordan Bone scored himself. So that is just awesome to see. And again, road wins in the SEC, no matter you're the number one team, they're going to sell that place out. They're going to give you their best shot, even if they're not having good seasons, which especially Texas A&M is not having a great season. South Carolina is okay, but they're still going to give you their best shot no matter what. So something always to consider there. Um, It is the now longest win streak in school history at 16 wins. They're playing Missouri tonight. This is again the, uh, as of this recording, we're recording this on a Tuesday. Tennessee's playing the nine o'clock game, which I hate always in the Eastern time zone, but that's what we've got. Um, it is going to be coach Conzo Martin's return to Rocky top. And I hope the fans just give him uh, plenty of respect because as I've said many times, I do think Conzo Martin got jobbed out here. Uh, I, I thought he was doing fine. Yes, it didn't. It's not a flashy style of play that he has, but it got the job done. We got to the Sweet 16 for crying out loud. So that's just something to focus on. Yes, we had some great talent with Jordan McRae and company. Uh, but again, still, still got to the Sweet 16. I thought he was a good coach. He's a great guy. So the, the fact that so many people came out and he happened to be the guy who came after Bruce Pearl, I get that. And he was completely different from Bruce Pearl, which was something they were looking for. But, I mean... The fact that there was petitions and different things going on. When Tennessee was working to get to the Sweet 16, there were petitions about wanting to get rid of him, which I just thought was ludicrous and stupid. So I just hope uh, before the game when he's out there, I hope uh, the fans and students give him uh, a good treatment because he didn't do anything wrong while he was here. Yeah, he left, but I don't think he got enough respect and fair treatment here. So hopefully the fans go and uh, give him his just due uh, there at Thompson Bowling Green. Hopefully Tennessee just blows him out, which I would love. But again, just show some respect to to Conzo Martin. He's a good guy, and he's a solid coach. Uh, Also, coming up uh, this week, it's Florida on Saturday here in Thompson Bowling Arena. They've called to checker out Thompson Bowling, which hopefully has a better uh, track record than checkering Neyland. It hasn't, but this is a special team, and hopefully uh, Tennessee goes out and does some more Gator chomping to the Gators and gets the win on Saturday. And then next week, it's uh, versus South Carolina at home. So three straight games at Thompson Bowling Arena. They should all be wins, hopefully, so we can move that winning streak up to 19 games. And then the big one, trying to get 20 wins in a row, 
It is next Saturday at Kentucky at 8 o'clock primetime ESPN. As Kentucky has quietly, which is always weird when you think about Kentucky and being quiet, has moved back up into the fifth position after Michigan and Michigan State both had some head-scratching losses uh, over the week. But Kentucky... They're still in this. They're still Kentucky. Yes, they had some soul-crushing losses, especially losing and just getting blown out by Duke to start the season and then losing against Alabama to start SEC play. But they're still Kentucky. They've still got top talent. So, And again, it's been 40 years since Tennessee has won an SEC tournament. They had a chance to win the SEC tournament this past season and couldn't do it against Kentucky, even though they uh, swept the regular season against the Wildcats. So keep that in mind that this Kentucky team is not going to go quietly. They're quiet right now because Tennessee's been getting all the pub being number one, but it's not going to be the case for long. The new top 10, of course, Tennessee still number one, Duke number two, UVA number three. They play in Charlottesville on Saturday. That should be a great matchup. It was a great matchup uh, in Durham back uh back a couple of weeks ago, so just consider that one. Gonzaga back at number four. Kentucky, as I mentioned, number five. Nevada, number six. Michigan, number seven. UNC, or uh, Michigan, number eight, if I could count. UNC, number nine, and Marquette, uh, number ten. The interesting thing, the most interesting thing that happened over college basketball over the past week was what uh, number 11, Virginia Tech, the poll just came out. Of course, they just lost last night to number 16, Louisville, which is good for Tennessee. Louisville just keep winning because Kansas might be falling down even more. We'll talk about that here in a second. But uh, Virginia Tech, they won at, uh, at then number 23, NC State. Which is good. It's always really tough to get a a road win against a ranked team in conference. That's really tough to do. The final score, though, forty-seven to twenty-four in a college basketball game with a shot clock. Forty-seven. I've seen that. You got grinded out defensive teams. I've seen forty-seven points, even in wins. But usually it's like forty-seven to forty. Twenty-four points. That was it. There was plenty of players who scored more than that by themselves all around college basketball over the weekend. It was 20 to 14 in the first half. What happened? It was the lowest scoring output in the shot clock era, which started back in 1985. I mean, Virginia Tech, they shot what 19.7% from the field. They were 7.1% from three. It was, it was awful. How? As a ranked team, how do you do that? Especially after the big momentum you had uh, hitting last-second shots to beat Clemson the week before. It's just, it, it blows your mind. And just to give you a little bit of cons- of comparison, we talked about how Tennessee's offense in football had some serious problems over the season. They still averaged 23 points per game. And NC State scored 24 in basketball. The Wolfpack was turned into sheep at that one. That was was awful. So bad. Hopefully that never happens again. That is just, ugh. You think this, I mean, the Super Bowl at 13-3 was dull. I I couldn't even watch that. At least that was interesting because you don't see that in basketball. (laughs) 
that just it was just amazing. I looked at that when the score came across. I was like, did they play like a, a an extra football game or something in conference? No, forty seven twenty four was a college basketball score. This isn't boys JV high school basketball, which you get a score forty seven to twenty four. That's just ugh. Oh wow, you gotta you gotta take a shower after one of those. That was still terrible. Speaking of terrible, not terrible, the winning streak is now to three for the Lady Vols, which is something weird I didn't think would be a course of optimism. But Lady Vols, of course, they beat LSU last week to end the losing streak. They also beat Florida 67-50, to and they won at Vandy 82-65. to Of course, Florida and Vanderbilt both really not good teams. They're pretty, pretty bad. Tennessee's still one of the last four in, including um, according to ESPN's bracketology, so... Still not going great for the Lady Vols right now, and it's not going to get any easier. They are at number six Mississippi State on Sunday, so hopefully the Lady Vols can pick it up. And you never think you would have to worry about the Lady Vols getting into the NCAA tournament, but that's where we are right now. We'll see what happens there. Also, a weird trend in women's college basketball. Not only are the Lady Vols having some serious problems, UConn's having you would say problems for them. Let me let me let me get this all out. Uh, UConn, the Lady Huskies, two losses, the most in six years in the regular season for them, uh, including a loss last week at Louisville. It dropped UConn to fifth in the poll, its lowest ranking since 2007. Oh my goodness, the wheels are coming off. They need to fire the coach. They need to do something to call. They, something needs change needs to happen. UConn is down to number five. Oh my goodness, the lowest since 2007. Uh, meanwhile, the top six in uh, women's college basketball, Baylor stays number one, Louisville number two, Oregon number three, Notre Dame number four, UConn number five, and Mississippi State number six. So, oh my goodness, and UConn is not the number one overall seed either in bracketology. They are not. They might not be able to play their regional in Albany, which would just be a stone's throw away from where they are in Storrs, Connecticut. You know, just I, I, I can't believe it. Just weirdness is happening. This is this is terrible. I think Gino R.E.M. is on the hot seat for crying out loud. This is just the worst thing to happen in women's college basketball. The Lady Vols barely making the tournament. UConn's down to number five. Oh, my goodness. Katie, bar the door. But that's going to wrap up all the college basketball talk, at least talking about scores. We've got more college basketball news here as the NCAA came over the weekend and suspended uh, Silvio D'Souza, he was the uh, Kansas forward for the rest of the 2018 season and also the 2019-2020 season as well. He was going to be having a bigger role in the uh, Kansas offense. He had been averaging 4 points and 3.7 rebounds per game, but a hand injury got uh, Aduka Azubuki, uh, the center there for Kansas and the top, uh, top prospect. He's been out for the season because of a hand injury. So we're going to get him into the lineup more. What came out was payments were made from Adidas to uh, Seuss's guardian, mostly Adidas staffer uh, T.J. Gasnola. He did most of the payments. Of course, Kansas's their administration, Bill Self, and athletic director Jeff Long, they're blaming the NCAA. Even though, I mean, if you look at all the details from the report, and of course, it's a very long report, but if you look at everything. Bill Self knew that T.J. Gasnola was a bag man and a guy who pretty much helped lure 
uh, DeSouza away from Maryland to Kansas. And again, through Adidas, the whole mess with the shoe deals in the NCAA is a mess. And unfortunately, all the NCAA can really do is punish the player, even though from what we've seen, the player really didn't have anything to do with any of this. DeSouza really didn't know about it. It was between the guy and the guardian was what it was between. So really, when you look at this, the NCAA, as I've mentioned many times on this podcast and elsewhere, the NCAA, it's a great analogy. I've heard it before. It's their Michael Wilbon from PTI has always called them Barney Fife when it comes to it. They're the guy who can't pull over the Corvette going 100 in a 55 zone, but he'll pull over the Toyota Prius going 57 in a 55 because that's who they can catch. And that's what's happening. And the problem is you can only punish the player. You, they haven't been able to punish the coach, even though it'll be really interesting to see what happens here with Bill Self at Kansas and with Miller at Arizona as more of this is coming out and people from Adidas are going to jail and assistant coaches are getting in trouble. So just keep that in mind. Also, the NCAA, this isn't the only thing they've been doing. They've also been dealing with the University of Missouri as uh, Mizzou has been banned from postseason play in football, baseball, and softball for the next year by the NCAA as they found them guilty of academic fraud, also a 5% reduction in scholarships, more stuff with that in-state visits and, or in-house visits and campus visits, all that has been reduced to $5,000 fine, plus a 1% of the budgets in all the sports. Missouri, of course, will appeal. Quarterback transfer from Clemson, Kelly Bryant, has said he's going to stay so I guess that's a positive, but still no bowl game, it looks like, for Mizzou unless this appeal changes someone's mind. But again, it's really interesting. And again, you're punishing people, especially the players, who weren't there when this happened. What really happened, if you look, is uh, Tudor uh, Yolanda Kumar in November of 2016 uh, said she improperly uh, assisted 42 student athletes after she was groomed by her superiors to commit what she called academic dishonesty. Now, again, she didn't name these people by name. She just said they did it. So take that under advisement as well. Uh, Kumar alleged she completed online courses and took final exams for Missouri men's uh, basketball and football players. By the way, uh, basketball has not been fined for this, so Conzo Martin is still clean on that. But just, again, really interesting when you look at it, uh, the NCAA Division I Committee on Infractions found that Kumar violated NCAA ethical conduct, academic misconduct, and academic extra benefits rules when she completed academic work for 12 student-athletes. The NCAA did not find credible evidence that her colleagues directed her to complete the athlete's work. They're still putting them on probation, Uh, The NCAA said, simply put, uh, 12 student-athletes did not complete their own work. So, again, this is just a mess when it comes to their ideas of academic fraud, um, because especially now, the NCAA can't even look at these athletes as amateurs anymore because it's laughable when it comes to so much of that. Um, And especially when you look, UNC, uh, North Carolina, pretty much got away with almost two decades of a shadow curriculum where they got all their athletes into these almost basket weaving style courses and didn't even do anything. Uh, 
And they got away with it because they found all the loopholes. And again, no athlete at Mizzou that's currently there did any of this. But they're the ones being punished because you can't punish the people who've already graduated. You can't take away any of their money. You can't find them. They're amateurs. You can't do anything with that. So, again, it is just insane what's going on. Missouri, of course, is appealing with all of this. And, you know, back in 2017, again, we talked UNC, uh, the Committee on Infractions. They announced that it could not include that the University of North Carolina violated NCAA academic rules when its student-athletes took deficient courses in the Department of African and Afro-American Studies. Again, they found so many loopholes to do this through. So the NCAA almost chooses... If you choose to to fight it, that's almost what Missouri should do is just fight it and say all these different loopholes and different things like that because they might be able to get off and get some of this appealed. But again, it, it's a real mess. It's insane what they're doing. I mean, I get back in the day where you'd have players taking crip courses and things like that. My mom joked back when she was at the University of Maryland, she loved being in courses where there were football players because they knew the curve would be a heck of a lot easier on there. So it's just something to consider, especially with the money involved. By the way, all these conferences, you talk about SEC schools, they're all getting about $43 million each from revenue sharing. So $604 million total went to the SEC last year, up from $41 million last year. The Big Ten getting an, on average around $37 million, even though Michigan's claimed they're going to get about $50 million. The Big 12 averaging about $36 million, $33.5 million for the Pac-12, and $28 million for the ACC. So all that money getting involved, none of it specifically going to the players. And as always, I've always said, let the players make money off their likeness. It's one of these things I've talked about burning it to the ground when it comes to USA Gymnastics. You're going to have to just do with the NCAA. You're almost just going to have to lock all these guys in a room and tell them they're not coming out until they just kind of start fixing a lot of these things. As times are changing, media's changing, social media, all these other things, online, the internet, everything has changed when it comes to academics, when it comes to money, when it comes to so much of this stuff. They're going to have to fix some of these antiquated rules and dumb things that they have and come up with a better solution because it's not great right now and you're going to run into stuff and people are now going to start fighting it too. So the NCAA needs to either be completely overhauled or a bunch of the schools just need to tell the NCAA we're out of here. We're going to form our own league. So that's just my opinion. I could be wrong, but that's my two cents on it. And to wrap up shibbles and bits here, Lindsey Vaughn, the Olympic skier, uh, she crashed in the Super G at the World Championships in Ari Swith, Sweden. Um, I mentioned this because, again, she is has announced that she's going to retire after the World Championships. Congratulations, of course, to Michaela Schifrin, the American who won the Super G. Of course, we got to congratulate winners here on Modern Day Gladiators because they're the gladiators who go out there and get the win. But again, Lindsey Vaughn, uh, her last event in uh, competitive skiing is going to be the downhill that I believe takes place over the weekend. 34 years old, her knees have been shot through so many wrecks and just driving hard on that snow. She's been a great competitor. 82 World Cup wins, 
uh, 20 World Cup titles, seven World Championship medals, and of course three Olympic medals, including the downhill gold in 2010 in Vancouver. So again, a great competitor. Uh, and again, we wish her all the best. Hopefully, maybe she goes out with another medal and a podium appearance in the downhill in her last event there at the World Championships in downhill skiing. But that's going to wrap up Shibbles and Bits here. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning in to a little uh, Shibbles and Bits. We always love breaking down all the news and things that are going to come through the cracks or things you might not be paying attention to because of everything else going on in the world, especially on Super Bowl week. So, But let's talk wrestling real quick as we thud the notebook down. Thanks for being discreet, Michael, about that. Uh, one guy had probably the best weekend out of any individual competitor over uh, Super Bowl weekend that was not Tom Brady or Julian Edelman, and that was the Velveteen Dream. One of my favorites down in NXT. He had a wonderful weekend. First, he won the World's Collide Tournament, which was a competition with five uh, competitors from NXT, five from NXT UK, and five from the Cruiserweight Division 205 Live uh, tournament with all of them. The Velveteen Dream beat Tyler Bate in the finals, and by winning that, he gets to uh, challenge a champion of his choice in anyone in NXT, NXT UK, or 205 Live, so we'll see what he picks there. Also, he got the winning pin in the uh, halftime heat matchup, which was just great. It was wonderful to have halftime heat back. I remember watching The Rock and Mankind in the empty arena match 19 years ago, I think, is when that happened, or 20 years ago almost. Uh, So that was fun to get that back. It was great. It was live on the network or live on YouTube. The WWE, pretty much anywhere they were around social media, you could watch Halftime Heat. It's also up still on the WWE Network now. If you get a chance, you should check it out. It was a six-man tag between the Velveteen Dream, Aleister Black, and Ricochet uh, versus Adam Cole, Baby, Johnny Gargano, and Tommaso Ciampa. Uh, It was great. It was about, I give it about a four-star match. Uh, great spot fest, all the guys pulling out their greatest hits. It was wonderful. Even my wife caught a glimpse of it and really enjoyed it because it was just an action-packed 20-minute brawl, which was wonderful to see in Velveteen Dream, dropping the purple Rainmaker elbow on Adam Cole, baby, to get the win for his team. So that was awesome. The crowd was into it there at the Performance Center, which was a lot of fun. So, And again, you look at those six guys, Velveteen Dream, Aleister Black, Ricochet, Adam Cole, Baby, uh, Johnny Gargano, and Tommaso Ciampa. As much as it would be great to see him on the main roster, I almost want them to just stay in NXT. They've all been having such great matches together and with other talent down there in NXT. It almost seems like, especially with so many of these guys, they're not going to know what to do with them when they get to the main roster. I mean... Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano have had this great blood feud, and now are they getting back together? This great storyline. When they get to the roster, what are they going to do with them? You know, they're not in the they're not the giant guys as much as you would want them to be. But they're great wrestlers. They tell great stories. Their matches at takeovers have been amazing. It's like, why do you want to move them up to the main roster? On SmackDown, yeah, they could do some maybe great things with Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles and those guys over there. But if you move them to Raw, it's like, what is it? Are they just going to make them just a generic tag team and stick them in that lame division at this point? I don't know. But 
I love what they're doing down in NXT, and I just want to see him down there for as long as possible at this point. Don't move him up and just get him lost in the shuffle. Uh, some other guys that got kind of lost in the shuffle and have said they're leaving once their contracts are up. Of course, Hideo Itami, who just never – he got injured a lot, uh, and he's going back to Japan, um, but never kind of got out of that cruiserweight role there when he moved up to the main roster on 205 Live. So it's kind of sad for that one. Dean Ambrose has said he's frustrated with his character work and what they've been giving him. He's former world champion Dean Ambrose and said he is leaving uh, once his contract's up. So that'll be really interesting to see. Of course, he was uh, jobbing out to EC3 on Raw last night. So we'll see after WrestleMania what his plans are right now. He's done. Uh, I don't know if he's going to go to All Elite Wrestling or New Japan. That would be really interesting to see if they could get someone like Dean Ambrose, a former world champion. We'll see what all of that brings as contracts come up and now there's some more options with guys on some major playing fields. You don't have to go to the WWE. I've been saying that for a little while now, that you can make good money not being part of of the WWE universe. And it's going to be interesting to see what guys can bet on themselves and do that. So that's what I'm excited to see. And of course they barely have any matches planned for elimination chamber. And we'll talk more about that next week. Uh, so the WWE seems to get in this weird thing where they've still got elimination chamber and fast lane, two more pay-per-view special events to go before WrestleMania in this build, so it's just going to be tight and confusing and annoying, and of course we'll break all that down once more matches come available here on Modern Day Gladiators, but that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. Again, I am Michael Shibley. Follow me on social media. We love you guys. Too sweet. I will see you next time.